You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Willow, if she will, to come forward and read today's scripture. Today is Willow's seventh birthday, by the way, everybody. So, and as she reads the text, let's stand together out of reverence and respect for the reading of God's word. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Awesome. Good job, Willow. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our children. I'm just reminded that you said it's, it's for those who are like the children that your kingdom belongs to. So I pray that actually we would all become like children um, right now, uh, children who are um, in need of a good father. I pray that we would be open, that we'd be humble, that you would redeem our imaginations, that you would capture our attention. And that you would do that for the purpose of of transforming us from the inside out to experience truly an intimate, life-giving relationship with you. And that that would, um, Father, change us from the inside out for our good, for the good of this church, for the good of this city, and ultimately for your glory. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a Wednesday morning in Pensacola, Florida. It's our family's first full day of vacation, and it is pouring. Because of a tropical depression, uh, there is a 90% chance of rain over the next three days. And so uh, being the husband and the father who pulled this whole much-needed vacation together, I immediately get on Google And I began to try to find things we could do that were inside and out of the rain. And so I call a quick audible. We hop in the van and we drive to Fort Pickens National Park, about 25 minutes away to this old military fort that was built in the early 1800s. And at some point while we're driving in the rain down this flooded road, somewhat flippantly and unexpectedly, I ask for God to stop the rain. I pray and I'm like, God, could you please somehow send the storm away so that my kids can have some time on the beach. See, because I knew my kids would much rather build sandcastles and study the historical significance of defending the Pensacola Bay against European invaders in 1816, I tossed up a Hail Mary, just this prayer of like, God, if you're listening, could you please give us a little help here? Fast forward, it's a little over 10 hours later at 6 p.m., we're at Peg Leg Pete's. Did I get a yes? Okay. I'll take whatever I can get. Um, And every single one of us are sunburned because we just spent an entire day on the beach with not a cloud in the sky. 
And as I'm stuffing my face with shrimp, I couldn't help but wonder, what happened to the rain? Where did it go? Like, did God actually answer my prayers? Or is this whole thing just one big coincidence? And my guess is if you're anything like me, you lean towards this whole thing was one big coincidence. I mean, sure, we can see how God will answer the big, important kingdom come top prayers for others. But what about the prayer requests that seem to be so insignificant in the grand scheme of things? What about when we pray for things that are as temporary as sandcastles on a beach? Does God really care about that? So much so that he would change the weather on behalf of three little kids from Paragould, Arkansas. And according to Jesus, the answer to that question is yes. This is what we see in the Lord's Prayer. We're right in the middle of this prayer that is as reverent as hallowed be your name and as cosmic as your kingdom come and as contrite as forgive us our sins and as apocalyptic as deliver us from evil. Wedged right in the middle of that prayer is something so practical and intermediate and small like today's bread. And I find that freeing to know that the God of the universe not only cares about his grand eternal plan, but he cares about something as simple and as earthy as a piece of bread. Pete Gregg in his commentary on this passage says the following, prayer means many things to many people. But at its simplest and most immediate, it means asking for God's help. It's a soldier begging for courage, a soccer fan at the final, a mother alone in the hospital chapel. The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from daily bread to kingdom come for ourselves and for others. See, prayer at its simplest form is about asking for help. But here's the question I think a lot of us have. What are the guidelines for that asking? I mean, surely there must be some prayers that are so simple and almost even selfish that God doesn't care, right? Where he's just like, why are you even praying about this? I mean, surely there's some things, right, that, that have to be so insignificant, like a sunny day on the beach that God is like, don't even pray about that. But you see, because Jesus knows that we struggle to believe that God actually wants us to ask him not only for the big things, but the small things, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And this prayer, as we have said, is it's meant to be a foundation on which a rich and powerful prayer life is built. And because that is true, that's why in the series, we've just been making our way through this prayer line by line by line. And today we come to give us our daily bread, which technically, as you see on the screen in the scriptures, is referred to as a prayer of petition. And a prayer petition, simply put, is just asking God for help. It's just making your personal requests known to God. And if you think about it, it is this type of prayer that as kids, we most naturally pray. Listen to a kid pray, and most of the times, what are they doing? They're asking God for something. So it's a prayer that we learn most naturally as a kid, but as adults, it's the prayer that we most quickly outgrow. And because Jesus knows that, that, that this asking for stuff for us is such a struggle, he says, look, when you go to God, you need to remember in the Lord's Prayer, right, that he is your father. And because he is your father, you need to know, yes, you can ask him for big stuff, but you can also ask him for the small stuff, like give us our daily bread. And just to prove this point in Luke chapter 11, which if you have a Bible, actually, I want you to turn there with me. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus just finished teaching his disciples about this prayer, about give us our daily bread. And then just to drive home the point that we really can ask God for small things like bread, he then goes immediately into a story where a man goes to his neighbor and asks him for, wait for it, 
bread. And so look with me at this story, Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Remember, he just finished telling the disciples, God is your father. And so you can go to him with the big stuff and the small stuff. And so now by telling this story about a man asking his neighbor for bread, here's his point. He's saying, look, if a rude and inconsiderate man looking for bread in the wee hours of the morning can get his grumpy neighbor to answer his prayer, how much more can you get your loving, generous, gracious, selfless father with good intentions towards you to answer your prayer? That's where he's going. And that's why in verse 9, if you keep looking, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Verse, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, when I read this this past week, I couldn't help but think about whenever our kids were small, smaller than they are now, um, how they they used to want to come to our bed in the middle of the night and they would want to sleep with us. Maybe they heard, a, you know, I don't know, a scary sound or they didn't feel good or whatever else. And, and uh, they would come into our room and, and, and parents, you know what this is like. You, you know this feeling, right? You're sleeping, or maybe your eyes are closed and you're laying in bed and all of a sudden you just get this weird feeling like you're being watched. And so you open your eyes and there is your psycho kid just staring at you. And you're like, oh God, how long have you been here? Have you just been watching me this whole time for how long? You know, it's really creepy. Um, like, what do you want? And they're like, Dad. I had a bad dream, or dad, I don't feel good, or dad, I heard a, a scary noise, can I sleep with you? And, and, and so what do I do? And I eat my words. I do the thing I said I would never do. Like, I'm never going to let my kids sleep in bed with me. But when it's your own kids, it's just different. I'm like, okay, get in bed, and I tuck them in, and off we go to sleep. And, and my guess is for some of you parents, like, you can relate to that. But now imagine this. <clears throat> imagine if you wanted to do the same thing to me tonight. Like, imagine tonight. You show up at my house unannounced, and you want to get in bed with me. You think that's going to happen? No. In fact, you show up at my house unannounced in the middle of the night, something bad's probably going to happen. Like, at the very least, I'm probably going to call the cops because I'm going to assume there's bad intentions, right? And what is the difference? Like, like why is it that you cannot come into my room whenever you want to ask whatever you want? And my kids can Well, the difference is obvious. The reason they can do that is because they are my kids. And because they are my kids, they have a special access to me that none of you have. And they can make a request of me at any 
time they want. And Jesus he says, let me just make it as simple as I can for you guys. That's exactly the way it is with God. When you pray, he says, you are praying to your father. And because he is your father, no matter who you are or where you come from, how jacked up your life is or how you know, weak your prayer life is or whatever, you go to him anytime you want with any request you want, no matter how big or how small. And then Jesus says, man, let me just, like, let me, let me, he says, let me, let me say it like this, guys. He says, look, and he, said, he starts talking to the fathers and he says, think about your own kids. When your kids come and ask you for a fish, you're not going to say, no, how about a plate of scorpions instead? Or they come and, and they ask for an egg, you're not going to be like, how about a serpent, you little punk, right? And like put a snake in his face like some sort of weird Tim Burton film. He says, look, if you being an evil parent, and all of us are evil at times, we're selfish, we're imperfect, we're sinful. It's like if you being an imperfect parent still want to give good gifts to your kids, then you should have a rock-solid confidence that your heavenly Father always wants to give good gifts when his kids ask for them. I just want to stop right here and ask, like, do you really believe that? Just think, I'm not asking, like, do you like the idea of God? I'm not asking, have you been baptized? I'm not asking, like, like, do you really believe that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts? Do you believe right now that God's knee-jerk reaction when you come and ask him for something is actually to bless you? That his default answer is yes when you ask him for something good. Maybe for some of you this morning, you feel like there have been times in your life where you have asked for a fish and instead you got a scorpion. Or maybe you feel like you got an egg and instead, like, you know, you asked for an egg, but instead you've got this snake. You asked God for something good, but instead you got something bad. And if that is where you are, I just want you to know in a few weeks, we're going to devote a whole sermon to unanswered prayer. I'm going to talk about all that stuff. But for now, just notice that according to Jesus, when you ask for something good, Jesus will give you something good. Guys, that is the word of God. This is a promise. And because this is true, what is implied here is, think about this. If you ask for something bad, God won't give you something bad. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, says this. I love this quote. He says, God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. Isn't that a great quote? Guys, there are times, and I can think of a lot of examples in my life, and I guess you could as well. There are times in my life where I have asked for things that I am confident they've got to be good, and later I learned actually it was bad. There are times we think, like, we know what we need, and we're sure, like, man, this prayer is a good prayer, when in reality, like, we think we're praying for a good thing, but we're actually praying for a bad thing. And because God is a good father, he will never give you the bad thing. He just won't do it, like, like he, no matter how many times that you ask. I think, again, about my kids. Um, they are absolute sugar addicts. And, and Philip Greer, you're one of the ones to blame for this. And so he's in my missional community, like shovel them sweets. And so um, they have been sugar addicts. I was thinking about this. There's a, uh, six years ago this past week, you know, y'all, y'all get like those pictures that pop up on your phones. This is one of the ones that popped up on my phone. Uh, this was six years ago this past week. I heard what sounded like little rats playing in wrappers at a, in a closet. And I go and open the closet door, and this is what I find. Like my kids are just double fisting blow pops that they had, like, ganked from our stash. And uh, look at my daughter. I mean, she's, like, 
that's a, that's a, that's a mix of embarrassment, but also like, I, I wonder if I'm fast enough to run to finish these off and my dad not catch me. It's like, she's really contemplating that. But here's the deal. My kids were sugar addicts then. They are sugar addicts now. And therefore, as a result, my wife can vouch for this. There is not a day that goes by that they do not ask for either cake, cookies, or what's something else that starts with a C? Cupcakes? I was just trying to think of something. Southern Baptist background. Anyways, they ask for sugar. Candy. There we go. Thank you. Very good. They're always asking for sugar. They want sugar. They're like uh, uh, Buddy the Elf, right? I mean, like they want sugar on everything. They put maple syrup on the spaghetti, whatever it takes, right? They want it. Do you think, though, as a parent, I always give them what they ask for when it comes to sugar? No. Does that make me a bad parent? No. In fact, Megan, you're smiling because she knows. I started this early on with my kids. I was like, guys, you eat too much sugar. You know what happens? You end up getting shots in your belly. Become a diabetic. I don't even know if that's even true anymore. But they'll, lie. they'll still say this. Some of you are like, what a terrible parent. <laughs> and you know what? If you're judging me right now, there's a chance for you to forgive me. Okay? So... Practice being like Jesus. Um, and and, and it's, no, I, I don't always give them what they ask for because I'm a good father who only wants to give my kids good gifts. And this is what Jesus' point is here. He's saying, look, if even you as an imperfect parent wants to always make sure you give your kids good stuff, how much more will a perfect heavenly father want to give good gifts to his kids? But here's the catch, guys, and we have to, we, we have to hear this today. Jesus says clearly in here that he is a good father who loves to give good gifts. Catch this. When we ask. Which I think begs the question, why do we need to ask? I mean, in Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus just said, quote, your father knows what you need before you ask. So have you ever wondered that? Like, why ask at all? Like, is this some sort of unnecessary formality? And with that question in mind, I, this past week, I started thinking about this very interesting story in John chapter 5. And some of you may remember this, where there's this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, and he's sitting at the, at the pool of Bethesda. And, and the pool of Bethesda, there's a superstition around it where they thought if we lay close to the pool, eventually this angel will come and stir the, the water. And when it starts bubbling up, if I am the first person to jump into that pool, I will be healed. So this poor man has been sitting there for 38 years waiting for this. Like, man, just put yourself in his shoes for a second. Some of you have been dealing with health issues for a while or some sort of condition or an addiction can you imagine 38 years you're dealing with this and just waiting for some relief? The man's sitting by the pool, because what else can he do? He can't walk. On the scene walks Jesus. Jesus comes across this man, and I want you to see or read here, I think we can put it on the screen for you, what the interaction is like between Jesus and this man. John chapter, I think it's 5 verse 6. Jesus saw him lying there. He learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And then Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Now, on the one hand, you're reading this. And you're like, oh, that seems pretty tender. But then on the other hand, I read that and it also seems completely unnecessary. I mean, isn't it obvious, Jesus? And at this point, his ministry has already become pretty famous for healing. 
So you would think, like, he walks up to this pool, he learns that this man has been paralyzed, waiting to be healed for 38 years. Isn't it obvious what this guy wants? I mean, this would be like an EMT arriving on the scene of a car accident, going up to a bleeding and broken and injured victim and going, do you want to get well? I mean, put the guy in an ambulance. You know what he wants. Like, why would you make him verbalize what he needs? Add that to the fact that the Bible is clear in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And and Jesus just told us God already knows what we want before we ask. And so what in the world is happening here? Jesus clearly knows what he wants. So why ask him, what do you want? And according to what we see, not only here, but all through the Gospels, I can share story after story after story like this. What we learn is something very, it's very important you get this today. We learn something very important about God. It's this. He wants you to put into language what you want him to do for you. Does God know what you need? Yes. But he wants you to say it. And I think there are at least two reasons for this. I think one is because of relationship, and two, because of empowerment. I want to say a short word on each of these. First off, relationship. The biblical story begins in relationship. In Genesis chapter 1, maybe you've never noticed this before, but God says, let us make man in our image. Now, here's a question for you. Who's us? Some would say, oh, it's the angels. Problem, we're not made in the image of the angels. So who is us? He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God says, we're going to make man in the image of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who listen to this, according to the Scriptures, have been in a perfect, loving relationship with one another from eternity past. And so it's from an, out of an overflow of this loving relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God shares their love with us. That's why, the, that's why God created us, to share his love with us. It's, it's, like, it's like a healthy married couple who realizes the point of having kids is not to complete us, but we want to have kids so that we can share our life with them. We're bringing them into this world completely needy, and we're going to pour into them. We're going to love on them. We're going to protect them. That's what God has done at creation. He creates us to live in relationship with him. And listen, guys, not because he's lonely, not because he's deficient, but out of generosity and love. He says, I want to share my life with you. And here's what you all know if you're married. You cannot have a healthy relationship if you do not have healthy communication. It's one of the biggest reasons I do marriage counseling on almost a weekly basis. There's a communication breakdown between a couple. You have to have healthy communication. And if you're going to have healthy communication, it's got to be back and forth, and it's got to move below the surface to where you trust the other person enough that you're willing to be vulnerable and say, here are my wants, here are my needs, here are my desires. And because that is true, God says, I want you to tell me what you desire. I want you to tell me what you want. I want you to tell me what you need. There's nothing too big or too small. This is about a relationship. And so that's one of the reasons he wants us to ask. But secondly, he wants us to ask because prayer is not about a relationship. It's about empowerment. And so, yes, we ask God because that helps us cultivate an intimate relationship with him. But we also ask God, and please catch this. 
We also ask God because our asking initiates his action. Karl Barth says it this way. God does not act in the same way whether we pray or not. Prayer exerts an influence upon God's action. Now, for some of you, I know that makes you very uncomfortable. And so that's why I'm just going to read the Bible to you for a moment, if that's okay. Uh, Exodus 32, for those of you who really struggle with that quote that I just said, that our asking initiates God's action and God, you know, our prayers changes the way God acts. Look with me, Exodus 32. Just to set the context for you, God has freed Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He has provided for them in miraculous ways. And yet, despite that, because they're just like us, they said, no, we want a God we can control, who's tangible, who's right here. And so they create this little idol. They bow down to it. They choose to worship the creation rather than the creator. This has happened over and over and over and over again. And so Exodus 32, verse 9, God says the following. He's talking to Moses. I've seen these people. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone, he says to Moses. Leave me alone. Why? Listen, this is God talking. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Man, if I was Moses, like, I would have just ran with that plan. I'd been like, you know what? Fine. Like, I agree. They've been almost an impossible people to pastor. They're complaining. They're grumbling all the time. They're always chasing after idols. Just bless me and my wife and my kids. We'll be good. Make us into a great nation. That's a great idea, God. Thank you very much. Sweet. But Moses, man, he's such a good pastor. In verse 11, it says, Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. And he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil and intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. This is Moses talking to God. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give you descendants all this land that I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. What is Moses doing here? He's just quoting the Bible back to God. He's just telling God who God already said that he is. He's saying, this is who you are. This is your character. This is the word that you promised that you would not abandon these people, that you would not wipe them off the face of the earth. Verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on the people the disaster that he had threatened. I read this and it almost seems like God and Moses are on the same playing field, but they're not. God is infinitely greater than Moses, but here's the thing. Moses knows because he is a child of God, because God is his father, he can go to him at any time with any request. When it comes to prayer, he is not passive. He is persistent. He is contending with God. He says, God, you just said you want to destroy these people, but I'm telling you, God, don't do it. I am going to intercede on their behalf, and I'm telling you, don't do this, God. Like, 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 don't treat your people this way. Like, Please, God, like, show us mercy. Show us grace. Be who you said you are going to be. And by the way, as a side note, what we learn right here is there is definitely a time in prayer where we are to pray, your will be done, and walk away. But then there's other times where we actually should argue with God. There are times where we need to say, God, this is not right. Like, this is not the way it should go. I, Luke was in the first service, and I was thinking about, Luke's one of our pastors, how um, 
there was a time when, whenever their son could not hear well. They had procedure after procedure after procedure. It's messing with his speech, messing with his learning. And we were just praying over and over and over that God would heal. And I remember just times where, where, where Luke literally would, would, would break down in tears and cry out to God. It wasn't pretty at all. And, uh, and he would just say, like, God, like, this is not the way the story should go. Like, not my kid. Like, don't, like, please, like, heal my child. It was contending prayer. It wasn't disrespectful. It was just him arguing with God, saying, man, I, I, I don't want it to go this way. And I think this is what we see right here with Moses. He knows because he's a child of God, he has permission to go to God with whatever is on his heart. He says, God, don't do this. And in verse 14, what's the response? God relented. You know what that word means, by the way? It is a deeply emotional Hebrew word, nakam, which literally you see it on the screen there, means to change your mind. So God changed his mind. And I've heard so many pastors try to explain this verse away. They say, oh, God is sovereign and he's all-knowing and he's outside of time. And therefore, because that is true, there is just no possible way logically that he changed his mind. Sounds good. The problem is, the Bible says, he changed his mind. That's literally what the word means. It also can be translated as repented. It doesn't mean that God sinned here, but he did change his mind. And, and what that means, and please get this, and this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, but what this means is that the God who moves heaven and earth is himself movable. He listens to our prayers, and he actually responds. And listen, I know that for some of you, that again, that makes you uncomfortable, and that's because for a lot of us, we are not okay with mystery. Some of you in the room today, you want so bad to just try to reduce God down to these little abstract principles, and rather than reading the Bible and taking it for what it is, you kind of throw meaning at it, and you try to translate it in such a way and interpret it in such a way that you can fit God into your neat little theological box so you can control him rather than being controlled by him. And so we come to a story like this, and we say, well, pfft. All right, whatever. Clearly Moses just had something special with God back then. As if, by the way, Moses is some sort of spiritual rock star, and he wasn't. Go read his story sometime. The guy murdered somebody. But we look and say, oh, well, clearly God is related different to Moses. And so, like, what happens is, man, like, you read the Bible, and if you're reading the Bible this way, all due respect, I think you're reading it wrong, but we read the Bible and we see it, like this, this history book that's just here to show us how God used to relate to people. Guys, like, that's not the point of this. Like, this is, this is divine. This is a sacred text that has been passed down to us by God. He inspired this. And it's not just here to show us how he used to relate to people. This is here to show you how God still wants to relate to people. And according to the Bible, what do we learn? And that God is not just some robot who's going to do whatever he wants with or without your prayers. He is a loving father who, yes, he's in control of all things. Yes, he is sovereign, but he still listens and responds to our prayers. And this is why, according to Dallas Willard, and I love this quote, he says, God's response to our prayer is not a charade. He does not pretend to answer our prayers when he is only doing what he says he's going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. And if you're like, well, okay, good for you. You found a, a story in the Old Testament, but, but I'm almost certain that by the time we get to the New Testament, God actually develops a backbone and he stands his ground when it comes to prayer. Well, take that up with James, a New Testament apostle 
who is pastorally writing to ordinary Christians like you and me, and he says, quote, you do not have because you do not ask. So why do we ask? We ask because it helps us cultivate an intimate, life-giving relationship with the God who is the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. And we ask because our prayers really do make a difference. It never changes God's character, but our prayers do help at times we see change God's mind. In light of that, there are two practices this week to help us grow in our asking. Um, and I would encourage you to process these in your missional community, your DNA. But the first practice is this. And, and by the way, if you're new to our church, we try to do practices often as a way of moving this from just being kind of hearers of the word to put it into practice. Um, so the first practice is this. Get you a journal, get you a piece of paper, get your notes on your iPhone, uh, whatever it takes. And, and just take a moment and think of all the prayers that God has answered in your life and just begin to write them down. Just begin to write them down and then give God thanks for answering those prayers. And then secondly, we've got these prayer cards that are um, in the foyer on a table by the door. Uh, the glass doors out here. We also have some on the table by the back door. And these prayer cards you'll see on here, you've got these five or I guess six blocks on here. It says name, subject. I want to encourage you to personally think about things that you want God to do for you. What are some things you want? What are some things you need in this season of life? And just write them on here. Give it, give it a name or write the subject in here. And then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Begin to pray over these regularly. Put it where you can see it. I'll have mine in my Bible here. But just begin to pray over it every single day. It doesn't have to be long prayers. right? Just pray through it. And, and I'll just say this, uh, vague prayers get vague answers, whereas specific prayers get specific answers. And I was thinking about this this past week, or two weeks ago, I went fishing, uh, we have a church member in our, uh, a member in our church that has a pond, and we went fishing in the pond, and we're sitting there, and I'm throwing my spinnerbait, and um, I just, out loud again, somewhat unexpectedly, just said, God, I said, give me a, send me a big fish. And didn't think much else about it. Threw again a couple of the times. And then I had a fish just drill that spinnerbait, jump out of the water, and then break my line. And my son dad said, Dad, you should have prayed that God would help you catch that fish. <laughs> and uh, he's nine. So I was like, shut up. I'm going to spank your bottom. And so like, uh, and so um, he just has heard us say that. Specific prayers get specific responses, vague prayers Get vague responses. And so write these things down. Be specific. And just before you pray, take a moment to say, God, I believe you're a good father who loves to give good gifts, but I struggle to believe that. Please help me to believe that. And then just pray. And just keep praying. Let me end this way. A, a couple months ago, I was having a really hard day. Um, and, and now I'm not telling you this story to, for, for self-pity. We all have really hard days. Some of you have a lot harder days than I have. Like, so please just know I'm not trying to like fish for like, oh, or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I was having a hard day. Uh, our, just found out that our, our fifth family, kind of core family in our church, was moving away and made it for the fifth family in as many months that was moving to a different part of the country. And these weren't just like families that like I would say hi to every now and then on a Sunday morning. Like these are families that, that, that uh, they meant a lot to our church. Uh, they, were, they were good giving families. They were serving. They had great gifts. And they didn't just mean a lot to this church. They meant a lot to me personally, a lot to my family. And, um, man, my heart was just broken. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, are these people that are just going away, all, you know, all the different parts of the country? And, uh, on top of that, uh, I don't know if it's because these families are leaving. I don't know uh, at the time. I don't know if it's because of inflation or what. But for the first time ever in our 10-year history as a church, we begin to struggle financially. Um, never had an issue, but, but we began to, we just couldn't 
keep up with what we needed to as a budget. So we reduced our budget by 12%, um, trying to figure out what to do with the staff. I mean, do I need to take a pay cut? Like, what are we going to do? Like, um, it's just, this is difficult. There was other things going on in the church at the time. On top of that, I also have my personal stuff that happens. Like, just like you guys, like my family has issues. I have issues. At the time, my wife was having health issues. She just found out they're going to have to send her to another hematologist to do more blood work because stuff's going on and, and just all kinds of stuff in her life. And it's, anyways, that stuff's just kind of starting to build up. I just found out another friend of ours was possibly going to get divorced, a family that we had loved and cared about, and just the last person I would ever expected that was going to get divorced. And I mean, you guys know how it works, right? I mean, it's like when it rains, it pours. And I'm just trying to figure this stuff out because a lot of it feels like it's kind of on me and I've got to figure these things out. I got these responsibilities. So my, my, my mind is distracted. My heart is heavy. I pull up into my garage probably around five o'clock. And before I even get out of the house, I hear my son say, dad's home. And Wyatt comes running out, gives me a big hug. Right behind him is Nora. And then there's Moses and they tackle me. And then they immediately begin to ask me for stuff. Dad, can we wrestle? Dad, will you go help me build Duplos? Dad, will you walk me down to the Methodist church so I can play on their playground? And to every one of those responses in that moment, I said, yes, we can do all that stuff. And I share that not in any way to make me try to look like I'm a better dad than what I really am. But my point is just this. Um, even when I have a lot going on, even when life is hard and I'm dealing with some really heavy, just sad, broken stuff, in the midst of all of that, I still want to give my kids good gifts. And if that is true of me, it is definitely true of our Heavenly Father. Does God have a lot going on, you think? Yes. Does it seem like that a lot of times he has stuff more important to deal with than your little petty issues? It does to me. World hunger, racism, sex slavery. I mean, it's like some big stuff. God has a lot going on. Very important issues. But he is still very eager to give good gifts to his children when they ask. So here's the invitation today. Ask. Ask for the big kingdom come type stuff and ask for the small and temporary stuff like daily bread. And if you're like me and you still have a hard time that God is a good father who really does want to give good gifts, remember Jesus' words as we close today in Luke eleven thirteen. 13. I read through it kind of quickly, intentionally earlier. But listen again to what Jesus says and we're done. He says, if you then fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts, if you then mothers who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a really bizarre way to end the story. Jesus, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. That's not what I asked for. I asked for a job. I asked for a date. I asked for you to save my marriage. I asked for a promotion. I asked for healing. I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. So why in this story that starts with asking for something as simple as bread, does Jesus end by saying, hey, if you ask, the Father will give you his own Holy Spirit? Because what Jesus wants to make abundantly clear to you and me today is that God is so good and he is so gracious and he is so generous that before you ever did anything for him, that he offered to give you the greatest gift you could ever receive by giving you himself who is the source of joy.
and life and peace. And if you're like, how does God give me himself? With John 3, 16, many of you have memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to come and live a perfect sinless life that none of us could live, to die death on a cross that we deserve to die for our sins, to then raise from the dead, to conquer sin, death, and hell. And then when he ascended, he sent us, just as he promised, his Holy Spirit so that anybody who trusts in God, right now, no matter how jacked up your life is, no matter if you've been rejected or abandoned, no matter how big of a screw-up people say you are, no matter what you say about yourself, if you will trust in Jesus, if you'll go to him with the empty hands of faith, you not only have the promise that you can have God beside you, you can have God in you through his Holy Spirit. And if that's true, if God will do all of that for you before you did jack squat for him, if he would do something that amazing for you before you ever did anything for him, then what in the world makes you think he's just going to nickel and dime you to death now? Like all of a sudden, he's just gotten greedy on us. The Apostle Paul says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him now graciously give us all things? I don't know if God will give me this. Is it too much I'm asking for? He's already given you the biggest, greatest, most costly gift he could ever give you by giving you a son, Jesus, and providing a way through his Holy Spirit for you to now have a personal, intimate relationship with him, to walk in step with his presence. And that's what we remember every single week with communion. And if you're here and you've trusted in Jesus, come take communion. We have uh, bread and juice up here. We have cups in the back. If if that's more your style and you want to do it that way, that's fine. And and I just want to say this. As As the communion team, you can go ahead and come forward and begin to prepare, but don't lose this moment. Don't start shuffling your papers. Um... For those of you who are here who have never trusted in Jesus, who have, for whatever reason, I don't know, you just have not entered into a relationship with God, like I would encourage you to abstain from this. We don't have very many closed doors to you here, but this is one of them. Rather than receiving just this bread and juice, which we just bought at a store, receive Jesus Christ. Please surrender your life to Christ today to realize that, that he is a better God, that he can manage your life better than you can. Trust in his life, trust in his death, trust in his resurrection. And if, if you want to know more about that, you're like, man, I hear you talk about this, but I do not know God in that way. Please come talk with me. I'd love to connect with you during communion or even after the service with next steps. For others in here, if you're not a member of our church, you're still welcome to this if you've trusted in Christ. And so we'll tear off a piece of bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus lived on your behalf. It'll be dipped in the juice, which represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And you can take that, or again, you can grab the cups in the back. When you're ready, then we'll sing one final song and be dismissed. Let's stand together. I'll pray over you. And then you can come when you're ready. Father, I thank you so much that you, that you love each person in this room so much that you gave up your son for them. I pray that that everyone in this room, maybe those even listening online, would know that you do see them and you care deeply. And if there are some that maybe they know about you, but they don't know you in a real personal way, I pray that you would just help them to see today that you really are as good as you say you are and that you have open arms. They don't have to have all their doubts figured out and their questions and all those things. They can come to you as they are with the empty hands of faith. For those of us who maybe have trusted in you, Jesus, but struggle still to believe that you are a good and loving Father, as we take communion right now, I pray that you would just fill us up afresh again with the good news of the gospel and to remember that you do love us with a a rich and a scandalous and a robust, unconditional, never-ending love. And you have proven that by giving us your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.